This past May, the last weekend in May, I preached a sermon about a story from Acts of the Apostles when Paul and Silas visited Philippi in Macedonia. They preached in the marketplace about Jesus and they got thrown into jail. In that passage, we hear that the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they'd given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. If you remember that story, a lot of excitement follows in the middle of the night. There's an earthquake that sends the doors of the cells flying open. Everyone walks out of their cells. The, the jailer is about to commit suicide. And it all ends with the jailer and Paul and Silas having dinner with the jailer's family and baptism. A fabulous story, but today I want us to remember the part of the story about the attacking and the stripping and the flogging and the imprisoning and the getting locked up in the stocks. Paul and Silas, as followers of Jesus, go through all this just in one afternoon and evening. <laughs> there was one time after I had preached about that particular passage that someone came up to me and said, laughing, are you telling us that to be Christians, we need to be ready for public floggings and imprisonment? How in the world did this religion ever catch on? And it's a great question, right? Because yes, ours is a faith that doesn't even pretend to save us from suffering. No false promises whatsoever. Instead, it's a religion in which God's own son is tortured and executed. Christianity acknowledges the possibility of suffering as part of the way and the life, baffling people back in the time of Jesus and baffling us today as well, so that we ask, do we need to be willing to be tortured and thrown into prison, that level of dedication to follow Jesus? In a sense, yes, we do already suffer pain and loss as part of this life. Everyone here knows it. Every one of you has suffered a wound that stopped you in your tracks. Christianity holds no trap door for escaping pain. In fact, by calling us to love, to love the world that continually hurts us, you could say that God is opening our hearts to feel even more pain than we otherwise would. So again, how did this faith of ours catch on? Well, I've been thinking a lot about pain and suffering recently, especially related to a friend of mine, I may have told you about her before, named Nikki. We met in college during a year that I spent in England. She was short and voluptuous with cascading ringlets and a cascading laugh. 
She was one of those people that filled every space with her sparkling spirit. She married another of our classmates, a sweet fellow named Morris, and I used to visit them in London every chance I got in my 20s. Nikki had a fascinating job in those days. She was the teddy bear buyer for Harrods department store, and this involved testing teddy bears for durability and strength, and so she was a kind of torturer as well, <laughs> but for a very good cause, safety. And Morris and Nikki, they loved each other, and they were very happy to have three small girls, small daughters, Amy, Rosie, and Lily. And then, and this was over 30 years ago now, Nikki received a cancer diagnosis when her youngest, Lily, was just 10 months old, and three years later, she died. Nikki, brave and bubblingly positive till the very end of the whole heartbreaking process. Whereas I, not brave, not helpful to Nikki at all, I had never before loved a person who was about to die, and so terrified I shut down. And before I knew it, she was gone. I failed her back then as a friend, and it was on my conscience for years afterwards. I felt horrible for having pulled away. Think for a moment about when you let someone down, someone that you love. We all carry these burdens of disappointment in ourselves. I don't like to use the word sin, but think of them as moments when our behavior fell far away from the loving purposes of God. Times when we lashed out, times when we cowered in fear, times when we hid, and those times become the small prisons in which we live. Back to Nikki. Can you imagine how she felt? Having to say goodbye to Morris, having to say goodbye to the girls, knowing that she wouldn't see them grow up. She suffered, Morris suffered, the girls suffered. This idea of suffering on full display in that passage you heard Alan read from Hebrews, a passage overflowing with stories about men and women who lived by faith. Sometimes legendary things happened, like the parting of the Red Sea and the crumbling of the walls of Jericho, daring escapes, the conquering of kingdoms. More often, though, disasters befell these men and women who lived by faith. We hear that they are stoned to death, sawn in two, killed by the sword, persecuted, tormented, and left wandering in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Again, we're reminded of the courage of those people who lived by faith. And my definition of by faith is people who think to themselves, God, I'm with you, just show me what to do. And by faith they take chances, by faith they push onward, by faith they live their lives for God, no matter what happens. And many suffer and die without seeing the results of their 
hard work and their sacrifice, just as my friend Nikki suffered and died without seeing the results of her excellent mothering, without seeing Amy and Rosie and Lily grow up. Living by faith means living wholeheartedly, bravely, trusting that God can use our lives for good always, trusting that each of us plays a crucial part in God's continually unfolding bigger purpose. God calls each of us, saints, past, present, and future, to join in the work of building God's kingdom on earth. And it is not built yet. And once in a while, we catch a glimpse of this kingdom underway, a glimpse of the world that God dreams for us. And the glimpses remind us of how God operates and cooperates with us lovingly through it all. And I caught many glimpses in the last few years regarding my friend Nikki because God didn't leave me in my small prison of disappointment and disgust with myself for failing to be brave and loving and present to Nikki in her final years. Instead, God sent me new chances to show up. So for one thing, God, this is a, a, a wonderful, for me, a wonderful irony. God drew me into a vocation where one of my key purposes is to accompany people when they are ill and dying. Sometimes I think that failing Nikki helped me grow to be ready for this life. So thanks to God, no mistake is wasted. Remember that <laughs> about your own mistakes, right? No mistakes wasted. And then, just a few years ago, after decades out of touch, I received a letter from Morris. That was Nikki's husband. It traveled first to my, my old home, then it went all the way back to England, then it came back here. And this letter really wanted to get found. <laughs> and Morris simply wrote, Dear Kate, I hope this letter finds you, and if so, finds you and yours well. One of our daughters, Lily, is traveling to the United States. If this finds you, I would love you to meet. Reading these words, my heart leapt because I was being given a veritable do-over, <laughs> a chance to be better this time. And great news, because this is what has happened. I have come to know and love Lily. Since that letter from Morris, Lily and I have become friends. She visits often. She's like her mother, bubbly and loving and bold. She's an art historian. And most recently, she was here doing some research at the Getty. And when we meet, I stare at her and feel as though I'm time traveling and visiting with Nikki again. And, and, and when we're together, I reminisce about her mom and she stares at me, hungry for every detail I can muster. And I tell her about how her mom cooked elegant meals in a few seconds flat, how when the English clouds would rarely part, her mom would be the first one outside to sunbathe in the back garden. 
Lily said, I do that. How Nikki loved the pretenders before they were commercial. How she laughed all the time. Nikki, like so many people that you and I have known and loved and lost, is a saint, part of that cloud of witnesses <laughs> who surround us and inspire us every moment of our lives. And gloriously, God keeps giving us chance after chance to join their ranks. No matter how often we miss the mark, like I miss the mark, and you miss the mark, God gives us more chances, more chances to give our lives over to the good work of building God's kingdom now, here on earth, and always. And every time I see Lily, I remember this. God does not leave us in our small prisons, the prisons that we built for ourselves. God sets us free to love. 